Morning. How about uh, Dan Voles mentioning my Chicago White Sox? That's exciting stuff to me. We're finally maybe good enough to be part of the conversation, right, Sue? I know. We're coming around. If you're a bandwagon, don't look at me, Jim, like that. If you're a bandwagon fan, this is a good year to get on board with the White Sox. We finally got a team. Just, just don't be an Astros fan, right? Because, you know. They've kind of been caught in cheating. But hey, it's good to be with you this morning. We're in the middle of our series called Pin It, and we're using Pinterest, social media, as a way to kind of talk about different things that we feel in our lives. And we've talked about how sometimes you could be on social media or you could look at other people's lives and, and you can feel like you're just not good enough. Like they somehow have their life all together. Things are going right for them. They just, they just seem to have this life that's better than yours. And, and you feel like, man, I'm not good enough. And we've talked through some of that. And we, we can also look at other people's lives on social media or real life and we see all the material possessions that they have. And they have different stuff and different things and maybe they have a house that we wish we lived in or they have a newer car than what we have or they have some gadget that we, and we, wish, we wish we had that gadget. And we think, I don't have enough. I don't have enough stuff in life. I don't have enough possessions in life. It can make us feel kind of empty inside. And so we've talked through that. And today we're going to look at an idea of how sometimes we could be on social media or look at other people's lives and it just seems like I'm not significant enough. You know, it seems like their life, man, they're making a difference. They're doing something that's great. Their life seems so significant. Their life seems so meaningful. And yet when I look at my own life, it doesn't seem very meaningful. It doesn't seem like it's very significant. I don't do anything big and great and grand like so-and-so does. And it makes us feel like, ah, I'm not significant enough. And the truth is, I think when we, we all get towards the end of our life, I think we'll all look back and think, did I live a life that was significant? Did I live a life that made a difference? Did I make an impact in our world for, for the better? Did, did I live a life that God would be proud of? Did I live a life that is significant and meaningful? And I don't think we just ask those questions more towards the end. I think we ask them all along the way. We stop and ask ourselves, am I really making a difference in life? Does my life really even matter that much? Am I significant enough? And I know it's not just adults who, who think about these things. You know, one thing I've learned about the next generation over the past decade of working with them is that they really want to make a difference. I mean, the next generation right now, they are filled with energy and excitement and enthusiasm to make a difference in our world. They're a generation that is very focused on social justice and about changing things for the good. They long to be a part of something that's bigger than just themselves. They want to make a difference and they want to be significant. And I think that's something we all feel. We long to be a part of something that we know matters. We long to be a part of something that makes a difference. We long to live a life that feels significant. And to be able to look at this today, we're going to look at a story of a man in the Bible named David. We often call him King David, because eventually he would become king of God's people. And David was somebody who was born for greatness. He was born to be significant. His life was meant to be meaningful all along the way. 
The background for our story today is, is David is a little boy and what's going on with God's people at the time is they have a king named Saul. Because every other nation on earth had a king and so God's people wanted a king as well and, and they went to God and they said, God, we really want a king and we want him to be Saul because Saul is this guy who looks like a king. He looks strong. He looks mighty. He looks like a warrior. He looks like a great leader. Let's make Saul the king. So God says, okay, let's go along with that. We'll have Saul be king. And long story short, it doesn't work out great. God continues to try to invite Saul into God's story to be a part with him and his story. And Saul continues to decline him over and over and over again. And when you decline God, you decline. And that's what happens to Saul. His life starts to decline. And finally, God says, you know what? Forget it. We're going to get a new king. And this time, I'm going to pick him. God decides, I'm not going to have the people pick the king. I'm going to pick the king. And he's going to be the one I want. He's going to be a person who's after my heart. He's going to do things the way that I say they should be done. And so God tells this man named Samuel to go to a town and talk to this man named Jesse. Because Jesse has a bunch of sons, and one of the sons is going to be the next king. So Samuel travels to this town to meet with Jesse. Jesse gets himself ready, puts on his, his best clothes. He gets his kids ready, washed up. They put on their best clothes because this is, this is a big deal. This meeting is going to be to decide who's the next king of God's people. And so they all get together and his whole family, Jesse's whole family's there. And we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, well, surely the Lord's anointing stands here right before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. See, he says, as soon as Samuel sees Eliab, that's the oldest son, he thinks, this is the guy. This guy looks strong. He looks like a warrior. He looks like a leader. And he's the oldest sibling. And the oldest siblings rule, right? If you're an oldest sibling, you agree with that, right? I'm a younger sibling, so I definitely disagree. But he says, this has got to be it. And God says, no, we've tried that. We've done the one that looks good. We've done the one that looks like a leader. We're not doing that again. He says, I've rejected him. I look at the heart. I don't look at what he looks like on the outside. So Samuel says in verse 10, oh, Jesse has seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, well, the Lord's not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? Jesse says, well, there's still the youngest. Uh, he, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And Jesse has seven of his sons pass by Samuel. And Samuel says, no, none of these are the ones. Don't you have any other kids? Isn't there somebody else? One of them's supposed to be king. And Jesse's like, oh yeah, that's right. I've got this other son. He's out in the field. You know, I read that and I think, how could you forget that you had another son? I mean, I mean if you're a parent, if, if, if you've had boys, you can't forget that you have another boy in your house, right? I found some pictures online of why all boys need a mom. Right? Crayons on the wall. <laughs> oh. 
See, if, if you're a parent of a boy, you know that you can't forget that there's another boy in the home, right? And, and so I think, oh, Jesse couldn't have possibly forgotten that he had one more boy, right? That wouldn't make sense. So, so why in this very important meeting where one of his sons are going to become the next king of God's people, why are one of his sons out in the field taking care of the sheep and not at the meeting? It makes me think Jesse must have thought pretty low of his own son. He must have thought that his son, his youngest son, David, must not be meant for anything great in life. He must not be somebody who's going to be significant or is going to make a difference because here we are with the chance to be king and he doesn't even invite him to come to the meeting. He's out taking care of the sheep. And back in this culture, most families would never have their children taking care of the sheep in the field. That was the job of a slave. You would hire a slave, you would own that slave, and that slave would take care of the sheep in the field. You would only have one of your own kids do that if you didn't have money. So it tells us that their family is a little more on the poor side and they couldn't afford to own slaves to take care of it, so they have to have one of their own take care of the sheep. And so who does Jesse pick? Well, David, because he's not going to amount to much in life. He's the youngest of the family, he's the runt of the family, he could take care of the sheep. He'll do that job. And so David is out doing the job of a slave while the rest of the family is meeting with Samuel to determine who's going to be the next king of Israel. And and they bring in uh, David. And this is what happens when David walks in. Uh, They sent for David and brought him in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So in that moment, David walks in and Samuel says, this is the one. The youngest of the family. The one that was out doing the job of the slave. This is the one who's going to be king. And we know from from researchers that David at the time of this story was somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. So picture that. He's a middle schooler, right? He's basically in middle school. And he walks in and and God says, yeah, that's going to be the one. I'm going to pick the boy who's in middle school to be the next king. And I don't want you to miss the part of this that, that, that comes from David's perspective. You see, David had a heart for God before he knew what to do with it. Okay, I'm going to say it again. David had a heart for God before he knew what to do with it. Just because he was young, just because he wasn't sure how, how to live his life or how to give glory to God or how to make a difference in our world, he didn't know exactly what he was supposed to do, but his heart would, was set on God even when he didn't know what to do. And God saw that because God sees what's inside of us. And God saw his heart and said, I'm anointing him. I'm going to pick him to be the next king of my people. And and you would think that David from then on out would would have a little more confidence. He'd probably go back to the home and and kind of show off in front of his brothers, right? He's the youngest, and and now he's going to be king, right? He probably would never go out in the fields and work the job of a slave again. No way. He's going to be the next king. He's not going out there. Make one of the other brothers do that. But that's not what David does. If you read the rest of David's story... He goes right back out into the field and continues to take care of the sheep. He continues to do the job of a slave. And research shows 
that it took somewhere between 15 and 20 years from the moment that David was anointed as king to the moment that he actually becomes king. 15 to 20 years from David being told, you're going to be king, to him actually living out what God told him. That's a long time. And throughout David's life, through those 15 to 20 years, it would have been really easy for David to become angry with God, to become angry with life. He could have started to doubt his calling. He could have got bitter over things. He could have got angry that he's out here taking care of the sheep day in and day out instead of being the king that he was told he was going to be. It would have been really easy for David to do that. But instead, David stays humble. He continues to do the work that he was given. Day in and day out, he faithfully walks with God. He walks with God daily. He trusts God daily. He has his heart changed daily because he's walking with God daily. And one of those ordinary days happened in the very next chapter. 1 Samuel 17. It's a famous story. The story of David and Goliath. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephium of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the units. See how your brothers are going, or see how your brothers are and bring back some of them, bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Eli fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up, and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out into its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David had left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he ran into the battle lines and asked his, asked his brothers how they were. As they were talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw this man, they all fled from him in great fear. So day in and day out, the Israelite men, God's people, are out at war against the Philistines. David has not been a part of any of this. He's been out in the fields doing the job of a slave, being faithful to God, being faithful to the task that he has. And his dad asked him to deliver food to the brothers and see how they're doing. And he gets there, and the men from both sides of the fight are, are lining up for war. And they're shouting their war cries and like they did every single morning. And then Goliath, the giant, steps out. And every time he steps out, all the Israelite men turn and run because they're scared. And just what a weird scene that is of every morning. The Israelite men wake up, and they think, well, let's go out there. Maybe the, maybe the Goliath guy died overnight or something. And let's line up our lines again and shout our war cries and... Then Goliath comes out again, and they run away again. And the same thing kind of happens day in and day out. But this day, David is here. And David hears Goliath shouting. And he thinks, this is my opportunity. This is my chance. This is my chance to be significant. This is my chance to make a difference. I've been faithful. I've been walking with God. My character has been changing day in and day out. And this is my opportunity. So David runs to Saul, the current king of God's people. Verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, 
You're not able to go and fight out against the Philistines. You're only a young boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant who has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Like, good luck, kid. You have no idea what you're getting into, right? But David did know. You see, David had been walking faithfully with God every single day. He walked with God daily. He trusted God daily. He worshiped God daily. And he had his heart changed daily. And when the moment arised, he was ready. He was ready to do the big thing because he had been faithful with the small things. You see, David knew a principle that Jesus talked about years later. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. It's a principle that David understood for his own life. If I'm faithful day in and day out in the little things, I'll have an opportunity to do something bigger and greater and more significant at some point if I walk with God daily. See, I don't want you to miss the fact of this story that, that when David, the story of David being anointed, what happened in David's life on the day he was being anointed, he was busy taking care of the sheep, doing the job of a slave. Nothing significant, nothing meaningful. And, and on the day that, that David would go on to take on Goliath and kill Goliath, he was simply working at Jimmy John's. I mean, he was delivering food to his brothers, freaky fast, as fast as he could. I mean, that's all David was doing in his life. It was nothing significant. It was nothing magical. It wasn't something great. He was doing a little task that he had been given, and he was doing it with everything that he had. See, David was faithful in the very little things so that he could be faithful in the really big things later on. See, David was meant to live a life that was significant. He had a great calling on his life. But he knew this principle. Your character has to match your calling. Your character has to match your calling. And I know for many of us, we feel deep down that we're supposed to do something in this world that makes a difference. I know that we feel inside of us, we feel like we're supposed to be doing something bigger, supposed to be doing something greater, we're supposed to be making a difference in people's lives, we're supposed to be living our lives for God and changing the world for good, and we're not really sure how to do that, but we have this sense inside of us that we're supposed to live a life that is significant. But we can never do that if our character doesn't match our calling. It might be true that you're called to do something great. You might be called to make a real difference for God in this world. You might be called to improve our world for the better. But it's never going to happen until your character matches your calling. It's a principle that David understood. He knew that he had to trust God daily. And he had to walk with God daily. And he had to worship God daily. Because then and only then would his heart be changed daily. And because of that, he would have the chance to do something great for God when his character was able to match his calling. 
your calling will never go higher in life than your character can go. And so if you want a greater calling, if you want to make more of a difference, then your character has to rise up as well. It's a principle that David understood, and it's a principle that we have to understand. David knew that he was supposed to be more Christ-like day in and day out, and so he focused on that. And sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to, to change things about who we are and to become more like Christ. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable because that means we have to work on our attitude. We have to work on our, our patience level. We have to work on the way we respond to people. We have to work on the way we use our words and, and make sure we don't say certain things that hurt people. We have to do the uncomfortable part of changing who we are so that we can improve our character, so that it can match our calling. Wait, wait a minute, Zach. You're telling me that, that if I want to live a life of significance, if I want to make a difference in the world, it might not be very fun getting there along the way? That's exactly what I'm saying. It might not be very fun to change your character and to change who you are. But in the end, your character will match your calling. And you'll get towards the end of your life and you'll be able to have lived a life that made a difference. You'll have lived a life of significance. And really, I think our world needs that. I mean, if you look around in our world, I think our world needs people who are willing to make a difference. I think our world needs people who are willing to embrace a great calling from God and who are willing to change their character for the better so that it matches that calling from God. Our world needs people who will live lives of significance. People who live lives that make a difference. And I think if us, the people of Taylorville Christian Church, would embrace that, would embrace the idea that we are called to something great, we are called to make a difference in our world, and we also are called to change our character along the way so it matches our calling. If we embrace that, I think years from now we'll look back and we'll see that Taylorville Christian Church continued to make a difference in our world. And I think that you will find that you have lived a life of significance. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for the story of David uh, and his willingness to have a heart for you. Uh, even though he was young, even though he was just in middle school, his heart was sold out on you. He was on fire for you before he even knew what to do about that. And so we thank you for his example and his faithfulness to live for you day in and day out, to walk with you daily, to trust you daily, and to worship you daily so that his heart would be changed daily and he would live a life of significance. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.